Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. That's been our theme verse for this series called American Idols. Each week, we are looking at an idol that, uh, that we, or if not you, at least myself, uh, deal with, and we want to address these idols. And so uh, it comes out of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 31. I'm just going to read a portion of it, but it says this. A uh, little backdrop, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he had like this crazy dream about a statue, and he was trying to figure out what this dream meant. And so uh, he, he looks for people to try to interpret the dream. No one can do it. This guy, Daniel, is like, yo, I can do it. And so Daniel uh, interprets the dream to King Nebuchadnezzar. This is what we're reading in Daniel chapter 2, verse 31. It says this, your majesty looked. And there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. And that was week one, the idol of possessions. And then he, it goes on to say, its chest and arms were silver. That was last week, the idol of our desires. And here's this week, if I can find it. It's belly and thighs of bronze. It's belly and thighs of bronze. And, and so I got one verse, one more verse for you that's specifically for this week. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 chapter Samuel. Blah, 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 blah. You can do this, John. We believe in you. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to say this. This is a bizarre story, okay? So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it as, as the message progresses. But 2 Samuel chapter 6 and verse 6. It says this. When they, we'll talk about they later. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakam, Uzzah reached out, took hold of the ark of God, because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, he was struck down and he died there beside the ark of God. I hope you feel blessed this morning. I know I do. And, uh, <laughs> and so, we're, you know what? Let's just pray and we'll be dismissed. And you can figure that out on your own. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that despite the difficulty sometime of the text, Lord, we thank you that it's, it's there for us to grow. And so, God, that's all we ask right now is that we would grow from your word. We want to leave here changed. We want to leave here better, but not for our own benefit, but so that we can change the world around us. And so we thank you for that. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, come on, everyone, say it. Amen. amen, amen. Now, I am sure that what I'm about to share with you is just strictly a PETA household issue. But... Uh, if it's not, well, then I'm glad that someone else can relate to this. But in the Peter household, I, and my name, last name is Peter, so I'm talking about myself if you're new. Uh, in the Peter household, we have an issue with losing the remote control. Y'all probably don't ever deal with that, but we are constantly losing the remote. In fact, I want to stand here today and say, the reason why we lose the remote is because I have three kids. And they're constantly 
putting, placing the remote in different areas. And they can't ever remember where they put it. Case in point. Uh, so my kids, uh, your kids are probably, don't act like this, but my kids, when I wake them up for school, they never want to go to school. They're always sick or they're tired or something, and they never want to go to school. And so, uh, so what I have done is I said, okay, listen, if the first person that gets dressed and gets ready, you can control the remote and you can watch TV until it's time to go to school. And this has created a bit of a uh, competitive environment in my household. And so the other day, the other day, uh, my little boy, my my youngest, he's five. He's gotten the idea that if I wake up first, then I'm going to have the remote and I can watch uh, whatever I want on YouTube. And so the other day, uh, my son, he wakes up. My youngest, he gets dressed. Uh, He's like, Daddy, I'm ready. I give him the remote. I'm in the kitchen making lunch because I'm a good dad for my kids. My wife is already off to work. And uh, so I'm in the kitchen. I'm making lunch. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hear my youngest scream. And I run to the front to see what the matter is. And And I said, Sammy, his name is Sammy. Sammy, what's the matter? He said, I can't find the remote. And I looked at him. And I said this, deal with it. And I walked away. Now, you're laughing, but under the laugh, I wonder if some of you are like, where's the compassion at, pastor? But I want to lay a little context to, to why I could be so heartless in this moment. See, my youngest, he understands that the moment his older brother and sister wake up and the moment they get dressed, They come and they take the remote from my little boy. And so he is so afraid that he's so afraid that they will take the remote. What he does is he takes the remote and he hides it somewhere. And then when he wants to change it, he takes it, he changes the channel and he hides it in a different place. Now, the longer that he's waiting in between hiding spots, the, the easier it is for him to forget where he put it. And so when he said, Dad, I, I don't know where the remote is, what I interpreted was, Dad, I hid the remote because I was afraid that my brother and sister were going to take the remote from me, and I don't remember where I put it. That's what I interpreted. And so, so what I want you to see, the reason why I'm sharing this with you is I want you to see that it was fear that caused him to move the remote, to hide the remote, so much so that he wasn't able to change the channel when he wanted to change it. Now, let me explain this. The reason why I'm sharing this with you, and it will make sense as we move through the message, is the idol in which we are talking about this morning is the idol of my fear. The idol of my fear. And what I have discovered about fear is that if I am not careful, fear will always cause cause me to react in manners that prevents me from stepping into the purpose and the plan that God has for my life. Fear. 
We're talking about fear this morning. Now, now, for some of you, like when I said we're talking about the idol of fear, your mind might have just went to like, wait, fear can be an idol? Like what? And I want to submit to you this morning, yes, it can. Remember the definition of an idol that we, that we set up from the very beginning two weeks ago was this. An idol can be anything that you place, prioritize higher than the thing that should be prioritized. An idol can be anything that I focus on more than the thing that I should be focused on. Now, if you're here this morning and you would identify as a Jesus follower, it, it's super easy. You don't have to worry about like, what is the number one thing I should prioritize? Or what is the number one thing I should focus on? Hey, the great news is it's Jesus. Yeah. So like you don't have to try to worry about like what should be the number one focus of my life. If you are a follower of Jesus, the number one priority should be Jesus. And uh, if we're honest, so a lot of the times, isn't it so easy to prioritize my fear? over my faith in Jesus? Isn't it so easy to prioritize or to focus on my fear more than it is Jesus? See, this morning we're talking about about fear. And listen, I I do want to say, if you are here this morning and you deal with fear, like like you're fearful of everything, Listen, you're welcome here. Please, please understand that. And, and by, by all means, please know that, that I am not trying to suggest through this message that, hey, shake it off. Get up. You're fine. That's not my heart at all this morning. Please know that. In fact, in fact, we live in a time where fear just kind of makes sense. Doesn't it? Like these past three years, my gosh, from 2020, the, the, the pandemic, you are legitimized, uh, are you, it is legitimate for you to be fearful of that back then. Especially at the very beginning, it's like, oh, what am I going to do? Fear. So I get it if there's moments where like fear has, has taken your focus off of your faith in, in Jesus. I mean, even right now, what's taking place in our world, like rumors of war, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so fearful. It's scary. And I get it. By the way, I also want to say, because I've had some people like, John, like, why don't you guys post anything about we're praying for Israel and people and the people of Palestine? Like, why don't you post anything? Can I say that just because we don't post doesn't mean we're not praying? Like, I don't need any clout that I get for posting. I would rather be a church that prays and posts than a church that posts and doesn't pray. And so please know, just because we don't put things on social media about pray for this, pray for that, that's not our heart, that we're not praying. We're praying, you just don't see it. And so... So there's fear, like we have opportunities to be fearful of. And I'm not trying to say we don't. But what I am trying to tell you is that if we are not careful, fear 
will cause us to react towards things and situations that will eventually detour us from what God has for your life. Now, I do want to say before we go any further that not all fear is created equal. In fact, in Scripture, there is a fear that is advantageous for us. There, like in, in Scripture, there is this, this thing of, of the fear of God, this idea of reverence and awe of God. Just like, God, you're so amazing. You're so holy. Like this reverence. And so, so I, I say that because I want you to know that, that when I'm talking about fear I, uh, today, I am not talking about the fear of God, but rather I am talking about the fear that wants to become your God. See, because fear wants to be your God, everybody. Fear wants to control the way you talk. Fear wants to control the way you think. Feel, fe uh, fear wants to control the way you act. Fear would love nothing more than to affect everything about you. And if I am not careful, if you are not careful, we will begin to prioritize and focus on our fear, eventually allowing fear to become our idol or our God. So here, here's my question to you this morning. Have you allowed fear to become your God? Have you allowed fear to become your idol? Now, as you ponder that question, I want us to go back to Daniel chapter 2. It's the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had of this statue. And in this dream, the statue, remember, the head was gold, the chest was silver. And it says that the midsection, the, the, like the, the abs, the core, and the thighs were made of bronze. Here's why I think this is so significant is because if you ask any athlete, any athletic trainer, they will tell you that the core of your strength comes from right here and right here. You talk to any football player, they will tell you that all your power is right here. And so, so, so the, the core in the thighs, it, it is a place of strength. It is a place of stability. And then bronze in, 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 in the scripture, like it is, it symbolizes strength. It symbolizes uh, something that is strong. And so what we have here today is, is we have like this, this, this area of, of, this, of, of, of the body, the, the core and the thighs that symbolize strength. We have the bronze that symbolize strength. And what I want to submit to you this morning is that when, when you allow the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you, friends, that, that you are called to be a person full of strength, that you're, you're called and created to be a person that is, that is stable, a person that is unwavering. Like that's who, that, that's, that, those are the attributes that, that you have when the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Like you are strong and you are stable and you are unwavering. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, the author says, man, we got to hold on to the unwavering hope from the one the, for, to the one that, that, that never fails. 
And so this idea, our very spiritual nature is to be strong, is to be courageous, is to be unwavering, is to be stable. But if we are not careful, fear will begin to pick away at it until all of a sudden my spiritual characteristic is wavering. Until all of a sudden I feel weak and I feel unstable and I begin to move in every direction. And so this morning, my heart is for you to understand the characteristic of who you were created to be. And this is actually what we see take place in the story of 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now a little backdrop before we get to 2 Samuel chapter 6, which we read at the very beginning. If we rewind all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 4, it's, it's a story of the Philistine army overtaking Israel and taking the Ark of the Covenant from them. And now if you're unfamiliar with the Ark of the Covenant, uh, during this time period, the Ark of the Co Covenant, it, it symbolized God, God's presence. And so the enemy, they captured Israel, they took the Ark of the Covenant, and they would, they would parade around their cities like, look at what we got. Until all of a sudden, like everyone who had it started dying. And the, and the Philistines were like, dude, I don't want this. And they started passing it along. And then like the next town had it and they started dying. And like, they're like, we don't want this. Until all of a sudden we get to 2 Samuel chapter 6, where David's like, you know what? We are going to get back the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to bring it to Jerusalem, and we're going to celebrate. So that's what's taking place in 2 Samuel chapter 6. David gets his people, and he's like, hey, we're going to bring back the Ark of the Covenant to our city. And everyone's excited. Yeah, David, go, David, woo! And so they go. They get the Ark of the Covenant. They build like this, this really cool... Um, uh, Cart, thank you. This cart, and they, they put the ark on the cart, and they start rolling it to Jerusalem. In fact, you read in verse 4 and 5 of 2 Samuel chapter 6, like they're singing, they're celebrating. They're like, "Woo, we got it. Praise God. And it seems like this very positive, uh, exciting moment until you get to verse 6. And verse 6, it says that then they got to the threshing floor of Nacon. Now, if you don't know what a threshing floor is, don't worry, because prior to this message, I had no idea what it was either. But if you're like me, let me explain what a threshing floor was. It was an outdoor area that needed two main elements. It needed uh, rocks and it needed wind. And so what the farmer would do, he would, he would get rocks and he would scatter rocks all around this area so that the ground was uneven. And then he would get the grain and he would sprinkle the grain over the rocks. And once the grain was on the rocks, he would get his cattle or, or his donkeys and he would have his animals smash and walk on the grain. And what it was doing 
is it was breaking the the, the seed so from from the it was breaking the seed from the chaff from the hus and then the farmer he would get like what what almost was like a pitchfork and he would he would get the like a, a scoop i don't know if it's called a scoop i've never done this uh, but he would get and he would flip it up in the air and the wind would blow away the chaff or the the the, the husk and and the heaviness of the grain of the seed would fall to the ground and he would collect the grain so by its very nature of the threshing floor it is the worst possible place to go through if you are trying to keep this thing in pristine, uh, uh, just, uh, uh, what is the word? Steady. Thank you, Jordan. And so they, they get, they're celebrating, they get to verse six. The ark is on this cart and they get to the threshing floor of Nacon and uh, they start trying to bring it through and, because the ground is uneven and it's windy, the ark begins to slip. And it's about to fall on the ground. And uh, Uzzah, good old Uzzah, friends don't be Uzzah in life. He was like, I will help you, God. Have you ever said that? <laughs> I'll help you, God. You need help. Clearly you need help. You're taking forever. Uzzah's like, hey, I'll help you, God. And he reaches out to try and, 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 and catch the ark. And, and he touches the ark and he dies. To which everyone in here is like, this is why I don't do church. <laughs> but I think it's very important to, to point out that there are a few exegetical points that are very important to understand in this moment. And the first one is this. From the very beginning, God commanded that there were only a certain group of people that was able to touch the cart. To, excuse me, to touch the ark. Only a few. The second thing, uh, exegetical point, is, is this idea that when God uh, had them build this ark of the covenant, that it was only to be carried from poles and not a cart. And so the fact that they were pushing it on a cart was them saying, hey, God, chill out. I got this. When the very moment is, or the very point is they were supposed to put it on poles on their shoulder and walk this thing out. And then the third thing that I think is important, and this is beneficial to you and to me, is that thank Jesus for Jesus. Because that means that you don't have to worry about touching something. Because of Jesus, he died and he rose again for you. God now sees us not through our sin and through our shame, but he sees us through his son, Jesus. So now I don't have to go to a box that holds the presence of God because his presence lives in me and lives in you. And so you don't have to be fearful of this moment that we're reading about. But it is important to understand. I, I was like, do, do I just want to pass this verse up? Because <laughs> I, I don't want to freak you out. But at the end of the day, this is the story. This is this idea. And then so, so, so Uzzah's like, oh, he's done, right? Uzzah's done. 
And David, here's what's so interesting. David sees this. He's like, David freaks out, everybody. David, he's like, what is happening? And I think part of it, too, is David understood that he did it wrong. David, David understood, like, man, I didn't follow what God had said. But, but, but David, he sees Uzzah on the ground, and Scripture says in verse 10 that David was afraid. And because he was afraid, David does, D- David, like he does this most bizarre thing. He, he says this, he says, I, I don't want to take this with me now. And so I picture Uzzah, blah, done, okay? He's down. David's like, ah, scared. And David's like, he's talking to his crew. He's like, yo, like, <laughs> I don't want this thing with me. Do you see that? My boy Uzzah, he touched it. He's like, dang, no, I don't want it. But what was the original plan? David wanted to take the ark to Jerusalem, to a city. That was the original plan. But when I allow fear to creep into my life, what happens? David's like, I know that was the original plan, but I don't want it anymore. And he stepped away from the thing that he was trying to do that he was wanting to do. Fear will always cause me to react instead of remain. And when I react, it always causes, reaction causes movement. And so when I'm fearful, I will move to everything that I think will keep me stable. When I have fear in my life, I continually move, whether to a job or to it's a relationship, wherever it is for you, like a substance. I move to the thing that I feel like will help me in my moments of fear. The only problem is it may work for a second. It may work for a day. Friends, it may work for a year. But eventually, whatever that thing is that you run to, it cannot sustain your level of hope. And so David and the band can come up. The, the, the David, he's, he's, he's fearful. He's like, I am not touching this ark. So then the question was like, David, he's with his people. He's like, okay, so then what do we do with it? Like, if I'm not taking it home, like, do we just leave it here? Like, what am I supposed to do with the ark? I don't know. And it's almost as if this one guy in particular, he overhears this conversation. He goes by the name of Obedito. And uh, while, while, uh, while uh, David and his men are trying to figure out, like, what are we going to do with this covenant or with this ark? Uh, it's like Obedito overheard and was like, hey, that's the presence of God? I'll take it. Like, you're looking... You're looking for a vessel to uh, a, a house to hold the presence of God? I'll hold it. And so scripture says, I think I have the verse. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 11. So, so David's like, 
Yeah, that's a great idea. Here, open it and you can take it. So open it he takes the Ark of the Covenant and he takes it into to his home, everybody. And here's what it says. The Ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. I want you to, 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 to understand the gravity of what just took place. David said, I don't want the presence because I'm scared. Pushed him away. David essentially was like, I don't want your presence, God. We're over him. He said, David, you may not want God's presence, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Because why? The presence of God, it causes me to be stable. The presence of God causes me to be strong. And in the presence of God, my life flourishes. In the presence of God, your life flourishes. And so Obed-Edom, he was sitting in his house. The ark was there, and it said God was blessing him. Why? Because Obed-Edom wasn't afraid. He didn't push the presence of God away. He embraced the presence of God. And friends, I want to encourage you, if, if fear is an idol in your life this morning, Rather than reacting, I want to challenge you to just remain. And if you have fear in your life and you've prioritized it and you've made it a focus above God, my my heart for you this morning is that you would just you would say, God, I, I understand I'm afraid of this, this situation at work that's got me fearful. I'm not saying to pretend like whatever is causing you to be fearful, to pretend like it's not there. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, hey, tell God, God, this is what's causing fear in my life. But I don't want to push you away. I want to invite you in. I want you to, I want to invite you in to my situation into my circumstance. And I believe when we do that, that's the moment that God begins to demolish the fear in our life.